he also started to speak about the danger, a kind of danger of Syrianization. But the, the, and even look what Syria, uh, uh, how it had an impact on the entire world. It it nearly collapsed the principles, uh, uh, civility, everything of the European Union because of the refugee situation. They swallow everything in terms of human rights, lofty ideals and so on, and they tremble. Why is refugees are coming from Syria? So uh, European system is affected. <coughs> the entire international system with new Russia on the ground, uh, with not knowing what the American position will be vis-a-vis -vis Syria. So the entire international system is being affected by the developments in Syria. And so Turkey looks like more and more to be another Syria in terms of destabilization, instability, and civil war. Just yesterday, one of the officials of the AKP, the ruling party, said if at the end of the constitutional referendum, if no votes comes, then get ready for a civil war. So now many people in Turkey started to pronounce this word, civil war. We, we never envisaged that one day we would be speaking of civil, in a threat or a danger of civil war. Now we do. So, but if Turkey presents itself as a second Syria, then look, one Syria, how impact it had made to the entire international system and the world by multiple aspects from morality, ethics, economy, psychology, philosophy, foreign policy, domestic policy, and Turkey is much more agile. It has much more volume, volume also than Syria. And, uh, much more on the fault lines, international fault lines. So, from in, in this sense, purely from an intellectual point of view, it, it would be devastating for a very wide geopolitical area. Uh, this, not if we end up in, in, in no Turkey. Uh, your question about why Erdogan wants to be presidential system is a uh, very important question. Good question. Uh, I don't think there can be one single answer to it, but from his point of view, I think uh, uh, there is something in the nature of power uh, pushes you under certain historical circumstances and under certain geographical area to concentrate more power in your hands. It becomes a dynamic. You, you may not escape uh, from it, perhaps. It, is, it, it, not, it may not be a good option, but why somebody like Erdogan wants more power, there are certain dynamics that pushes him to want it uh, to be so. One other reason, which, is, which may be neglected in this part of the world, is corruption. And, and this is one of the most uh, burning issues between him and the Gulenis in terms of the power struggle. Because 
perception in, in this part of the world is a very normal phenomenon. Uh, but in all of you, it's a phenomenon you can see everywhere in the United States, in Russia, in everywhere. But in everywhere, you, the, the, the corruption is not a big deal. But corruption can be used also by an instrument in, in power struggle. When it is used as an instrument in uh, civil and civic regimes or governances, it is taken seriously, and then uh, you you end up uh, in in. Uh, recognizing its results. So Turkey, <coughs> despite many similarities with the Middle East and the Arab world and the Muslim world, it is a Janus-like country in the Greek mythology. One faces Muslim and Eastern, the other faces Western, and it's a part of the Western institutions. So corruption, although it happens in United Kingdom, in America, in France, but when it is discovered, you pay the price. And in Turkey, the Gulenists in their power struggle, through some mechanisms, brought up the charges of corruption. And they are serious. And uh, then it has to yield some results. If you have a real democratic checks and balances system, then you are gone because of those charges, because of that corruption. But if you concentrate your power the, in your hands, the, if the judiciary is under your control, if you control the entire executive, uh, and if you and he, he, he changed the, the narrative saying that this corruption issue, he never said <coughs> corruption. He said uh, they want to uh, remove me from power as the lackeys of what they call it in Turkish, which means supreme mind. Supreme mind means, it, it's a connotation, everybody understands, America or <coughs> Israel. So he meant that these are the lackeys of America and Israel who wants to remove me from power. So whatever he would do against them would be legitimate because then you forget about the, the corruption issue and uh, you are involved in uh, naked power struggle. It's power game. But the charges are there. Especially there is a gentleman, an Iranian, Azeri Iranian, in prison in the United States, who were uh, in the illicit deals uh, with, with Iran uh, on this oil uh, issue, which was very close, and all these things came up uh, around him. Uh, so he's still alive and he's a hostage under the hands of the Americans. Therefore, if Erdogan does not concentrate power in his hands, all these issues can bring, be brought up against him and he might be gone. So he needs to hold, he has to monopolize the power. And when you make moves to monopolize powers, Many other dynamics uh, are unleashed. Then you become, you have to become a strong man. And everybody comes uh, from the womb of his or her mother as very uh, innocent, 
baby, but then you become something else. Saddam Hussein, for example, was not a brutal person when he was a baby, baby, for example. <laughs> and so, Tayyip uh, Erdogan, the people changes in in, in politics in, in power struggle. So I will, uh, and uh, therefore, uh, and one of the main narratives of Turkey today, one flag, one state, one nation, one, one flag, one state, one nation. It's a very widespread slogan, which is brought by Erdogan himself. This monolithic power structure is very inspiring or reminiscent of Germany of 1930s, 40s, one, 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 one. And one man, it galvanizes into the power of one man. So the, the and the constitutional amendments, interestingly, uh, is the, the, uh, the photocopy of the Syrian constitution mainly, in terms of the powers of the president. <laughs> Very interesting. Somebody discovered it. They put two copies together, the new constitutional proposals, the amendments, and what is written in the Syrian constitution in terms of the presidential powers. More or less the same. And yes. so the, the, the third question, uh, very difficult question. I think we need to have a, a seminar to take this question. How come being Islamist and then uh, keeping a friendly relations with Israel uh, for so long? There are uh, a lot of uh, reasons behind it. We have to go back to 1948, uh, the time the Israel was found. Then uh, Turkey found itself in the Western security system, uh, uh, became a very close friend of the United States. And so, via uh, United States and, and, and uh, the Arab world, as much it became under the influence during the Cold War of the Soviet Union. So, in this dichotomy, uh, Israel, as a non Arab uh, and non Muslim force, during the secularist Turkey, uh, accumulated so much uh, power and interest within Turkey. Then came the Islamists. But these Islamists, first they came re refusing that they are Islamists. They called themselves conservative Democrats. Uh, although in one conversation with um, the former president Abdullah Gül, when I told him, you Islamists, and then I said, excuse me if I call you as such, I know that you don't like the term that you are a conservative democrat officially. He left and he said, you can call me, it's between us, we have <laughs> Look at our lifestyle, look at our wives, how they dress, look at our upbringing. Of course we are Islamists. <laughs> but these Islamists, when they came, they came as in the first round when I was trying to say the appeal that they had, they represented an Islam within a Western system to acknowledge them as a part of the civilized and acceptable Islamist power. So one of the, the, the prerequisites is you have to have some relation and connection with Israel. And it functioned well when they presented themselves as being the mediators between Syria and Israel and so on. So it projected importance even to Turkey. But deep in their heart, 
despite my personal all differences with them, I have to be, uh, uh, I have to admit that uh, they don't like Israel at all. Uh, and if there is anti-Semitism, mostly you can find in their milieu. This relationship with Israel is mostly has something to do uh, with pr practical and pragmatic reasons rather than the ideologic impulses that they have. Uh, because they are in heart, and in our private conversations, I know they are very anti-Israeli, very anti-Israeli. But it's business uh, with Israel, and it has something to do, if I come back to your question, something with the survival instinct. Tayyip Erdogan, for, for him, the most important thing is his survival. You, if you narrow the power more and more, and it becomes so much personal, and under, if you are under threat, everybody is against you. The international system wants to depose you, to remove you. Everybody wants to assassinate you. So you, you become, uh, you shrink into yourself more and more. Then you look for your survival even more. And this survival reflex, Despite all this uh, narrative about discourse, about supreme mind, meaning Americans and Israelis, he wants Israel and America on board. He doesn't want more troubles for himself. And if he thinks to be, to, to, to reconstruct bridges with Israel will help him for his survival in terms of opening his uh, vistas with the United States, which is already in conflict in, in Syria and in elsewhere. Uh, and um, the, because of uh, uh, business uh, reasons, the Israeli uh, this natural gas projects which would come from Egypt cross the Israeli waters and goes over Cyprus and so on and so forth. For all these uh, projects that he wants Turkey to function as a hub, he needs uh, relations with Israel. So, uh, despite what he will, he feels in deep in his heart about negatively about Israel, he's doing business for pragmatic and practical reasons, and mainly because that Israel uh, is a recipe for for his uh, survival. Um, about the question, if uh, he's trying to to form something like. Uh, Haras Thawri in, in Iran. Yes, he does. And uh, the Turkish army looks like nowadays worse than the Iranian army of uh, when Khomeini has come. Uh, at least the Iranian army in six, nine months found itself uh, in war with Iraq. So they became, and I was in Iran in all those days, and so the army was again with all this uh, patriotic Iranian songs and so on, and the people applauding the Iranian army as a, as a uh, heroic army, but gradually an Iranian army, when attacked by an Arab power, it was too much for them, and they, they were willingly fighting uh, on, on the front. So it was no more a suppressive force of Shah. It was the, the uh, uh, it was the, the uh, uh, honorable uh, sons and daughters of the Iranian people fighting in the front. Then gradually, uh, revolutionary guards, Haras Tavri, 
took over. In the Turkish case, the army is so demoralized and decimated after, uh, particularly after this, after the coup, uh, after the coup uh, some factions of it are sent to Syria, and they can't do anything there. Uh, they, from a military point of view, what they are doing, I'm saying military point of view, because I read many military reports as well, what, what's going on there. It is disastrous, the, the, the Turkish military performance uh, in, in Syria. It's, 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 it's bad. It's, it's like an auxiliary force to the Russians, but they are not achieving anything. At least the Russians, with brutality, leveled Aleppo, Halep, and took up the surrender of the Syrian opposition. The Turks, either they don't have that much ammunition, or uh, political balances do not let them to act in the way they uh, could uh, control uh, the towns, they can. So, we, in a situation when we don't, or we cannot speak about uh, uh, the military as it used to be, gradually this power uh, started to create its own uh, militias which might, it's a very accurate question in the sense, uh, which might uh, uh, take a role which is very uh, uh, similar to what we have seen and witnessed uh, in Iran. There are two different things. One is uh, the, uh, a company called Sadat. It's the initials of Sadat, uh, who is uh, formed by a brigadier, uh, a retired brigadier uh, who was... Uh, uh, purged because being an Islamist many years ago. This man formed a company and uh, Erdogan entrusted him to his company for the training of the Syrian uh, militias that Turkey is supporting. So he was getting money and he was having some role. Uh, parallel to that, something called Osmanlı Ocakları which means Hat heart with TH at the end in English, uh, of Ottoman uh, as, a, as a paramilitary organization of uh, uh, the ruling party AKP was formed. And those people, uh, there is a lot of Salafi uh, jihadi in the Western media terminology, if I say so, uh, penetration into them. They played a very important role uh, when the coup failed, from an internal information and knowledge, we, many Turks, know that, still know that, it was not a real coup. There was something wrong about that coup. Uh, at least what we know, I don't say that, I don't go that far that some say so. I don't know because I can't say so. Erdogan was behind the coup in order to implement the policies than he implemented. I don't say so. But he had the information about the coup. That it was coming, who will be participating in it, and so on and so forth. And so, more or less, he knew that it will be doomed to failure, the coup. And they had made plans what to do after the failure of the coup. Because they were very efficient. Right after the coup, 
Before everybody was surrendered on 16th of July, 10,000 judges and prosecutors are purged. And it was Saturday. We live in this country for taxpayers since more than 60 years. Our state is never that efficient. Because in order to get 10,000 names of judges and prosecutors, 